Welcome to East Hills Alliance Church. We are everyday people following Jesus every day. Do y'all, uh, how many of y'all know the movie Princess Bride? Princess Bride, yeah, wow, lots of hands. Excellent. 80s uh, cult classic and the unofficial movie of homeschoolers everywhere. Uh, it just is. I don't know. I don't really get it, but it's great. Uh, one of the most quotable movies ever. My name is Nigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Which you, which you hear and you go, and homeschool parents let their kids watch this movie? Anyway, marriage is what brings us together today. Uh, it is also, in addition to being quotable, my apologies for all of you who have no idea what we're doing right now. Uh, it is <laughs> as you wish, that's right. Uh, it, it is also the movie that is the utmost expert uh, on true love. Okay? Uh, it is. So it even says it in the movie over and over and over again. Uh, True love will follow you forever and ever and ever. Uh, there's a character uh, played by Billy Crystal named Mad Max uh, who says, Sonny, there is nothing better than true love except a good MLT, a mutton lettuce and tomato sandwich where the mutton is lean and the tomato is nice and crisp. They're so perky. I have no idea why perky. That seems like a really weird word there, but that's what we said in the movie, uh, or the sappiest quote in the movie, in my opinion, of lots of them. Uh, <laughs> death cannot stop true love. All it can do is delay it for a while. The experts on true love. Uh, in this series, uh, Thorny Issues, we are looking at things that in our society today seem to stand between people and Jesus, or between people and church. Uh, we have people, we all have people that we love who don't know that God loves them. And it seems like there are a few different significant things that are likely to be standing in the way of them knowing that truth and being part of a community of people who is following Jesus. So today's question uh, may not feel like a controversial issue, uh, but it is one of the major things, it seems, that keeps people away from God's love, and in my opinion, is one of the major things that stops Christians, stops Jesus' followers from doing what we have been called to do. So I already made some terrible 80s cultural references. Moving on to the 90s, with apologies to Hathaway, SNL, Bad 90s Dance Moves, and you, if I get this song stuck in your head, our question today is... What is love? No? Anybody? Some people started headbanging. I saw it. Okay. Uh, what is love truly? What, how, do we, how do we actually define this term love? Uh, also, if you are worried um, that this is going to be a uh, really sappy sermon, uh, this is my last Princess Bride reference, but uh, no, young Fred Savage, there are no kissy parts in this story. <laughs> So, we will be just fine. Why does this matter? Why does it matter how we define 
love? Well, one, because wouldn't it just be like the devil to take something that is so good and not try to convince us that it's bad, but just twist the definition of it to the point that we can't find it because we're looking for something that's not there. To twist it to the point that we think we've found it, we find ourselves disappointed. And it turns out that we haven't found it at all, and we end up missing out on such a good thing. And make no mistake, love is a very, very good thing. And I'm not talking about the romantic love, although that's good too, but I'm talking about love as Scripture talks about it. It's a very good thing. It is the most important thing. Jesus was asked which commandment was the most important. Uh, Jewish people of Jesus' day and today have 613 commandments that they are asked to follow. And in Jesus' day, the religious leaders had added a whole bunch more in between when God gave the 613 and the day they were living in. And so somebody comes to him, an expert on the law, and says, okay, Jesus, which one is the most important? And uh, Jesus tells him that the most important, that uh, actually all of the commandments can be summarized this way. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. He said, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the commands can be summarized this way. The most important thing a Jesus follower does is love. Most important thing a Jesus follower does is love. That is not just my opinion. That is what Jesus said. He said, if you will follow me, the most important thing you're going to do is love God and love others. Uh, Jesus's friend John said it this way in a letter to the early church that we have preserved as uh, 1 John near the end of the Bible. I'm going to read from 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 7. Dear friends, he writes, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. The second reason why it is so important to define love, because we not only are called to give love, but we also receive it. The God we follow is love. And if you are here this morning or you're watching online at any time, and you are struggling in some way to believe that God would love you. Like, sure, maybe the people next to me, they seem nice enough, but that God would love me. Um, welcome to the club. <laughs> There's a lot of us. It's, it's actually really normal. I, I'm, not, I'm not saying it's good. I'm just saying it's okay. <laughs> there are a lot of us who struggle with that. For some of you, you just get this. You get that God loves you, um, and that is so good, and I'm a little bit jealous, and that's awesome. I'm, I'm glad uh, that you get this, and I, I want to get it like that. But for some of us, it's just hard. It's hard to grasp that, that God is love to such an extent uh, that he loves us no matter what. No matter what we say, no matter what we do, whether we love him back or not, that God is love. Uh, last week, we took some time to ask a bunch of questions about God. Uh, did God create? Is God good? Is God loving? Uh, and that led us to this larger, I think really significant question. Is God wise enough, present enough, and loving enough to know what is good for me? Is God wise enough, present enough, loving enough, 
to know what is good for me. And I don't mean can we answer this theologically and quote some Bible verses about it. I mean, when we ask ourselves this question, what answer do you come to? Is God's goodness and love something I can actually trust? Will he actually work with me to make something good out of the messes that I keep stepping in? So much of what we wrestle with, the thorny issues that we get stuck and hung up on, has to do with this question. Can I trust that God is wise enough, present enough, and loving enough to know what is good for me? So if we're going to talk about God as loving, and if we're going to respond to the call of Jesus to to love well, well, then it's important that we know how to define what love is. And there are a number of passages in Scripture about what love is. Uh, one of them is right here in 1 John chapter 4. Since we're already there, we'll come back to that one later. I would like you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, uh, which is perhaps the most famous passage about love in Scripture today. Uh, we read this at weddings and stuff, so even people who don't know the Bible at all don't follow Jesus, don't come to church, uh, have likely heard this one. I'm going to read uh, 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. This passage is not actually about romance or marriages. Uh, if you've been in our Building Blocks class on Tuesday nights, we talked about this one a couple weeks ago, that this passage is actually about what we do with the things that God gives us. What do we do with the gifts that God gives us, with the authority or empowerment that God gives us? In any situation where you have an opportunity to have authority or to have influence, in any situation where your words and actions matter and, and push other people in another direction, in any situation where you have a gift to give, something to offer the people around you, this passage says that how we do that really really matters. Earlier in 1 Corinthians 13, it says we can offer all kinds of beautiful, wonderful, amazing gifts to other people. And if we do it without love, it is just pointless noise. So we offer what we have to others in kindness, in patience, and so forth. And I get that all of this seems fairly straightforward. Love everyone, giving what you have in this way. Don't be rude, kindness, patience, don't keep a record of wrongs, etc. But recently, it seems that love has become a, a thorny issue of sorts. That we keep getting stuck at this point where our desire and our efforts to love uh, the people around us bumps up against the way that the world around us seems to define love. And so I, I want to kind of break that 
down a little bit. These are the ways that it seems to me and to our staff as we talked about it, that, that the world is defining what it means to love someone. I, I think there are different levels of love we're called to. Like if you love a little bit, it's this. If you really love, and then if you really, really love someone, it's gonna look like this. So I just wanna, I just wanna walk through these. Level one is kindness. Love looks like kindness. Now, this is great because we just use this word, right? That's what 1 Corinthians 13 says too. Love is kind. Now, part of the thorniness of this may come in how we define kindness and what is kind, but when we are trying to love somebody, anybody, it is important to find points of agreement. When you are in an argument with somebody, it is important to try to find points of agreement. You may disagree on all kinds of things, but it is important to find some point where you say, okay, do we agree here? In any relationship that we are in, it's important to find points of agreement and go, okay, from this point, however small, we can build a relationship from, from here. We can, we can link up on this thing we agree is, is true. So this is a point of agreement between scripture and how the world is defining love. Love is kind. And so as we follow Jesus and, and love the world, uh, let's try to do at least that much, okay? That love is kind, partly because we are called to it, and partly because you all know that the church's reputation in the world right now is not one of kindness. Now, you and I can't do a lot to change the reputation of the church in the world. What we can do is confuse people, and sometimes that's good. I would love for the people in your life to be so confused because they know the reputation of the church, but the Jesus person in front of them doesn't match. <laughs> that we would love so well with kindness and patience and not being rude that people would go, oh, I thought all church people were like this and you're not. You can't do anything about the reputation of the church as a whole other than be you and be something different than that reputation that we don't like. So let's start there. Love is patient, love is kind, love is not rude. We can start loving people at that point of agreement for sure. Uh, speaking of agreement, that is level two of how our society defines love. If a level one love is that you are kind, if you really love somebody, you're going to agree with them. And then disagreement in counterpoint, is seen as unloving. So any point of agreement, again, it's important to find those points. Any point of agreement is loving. We can agree on that, they can agree on that. That's, that's great. But if you run into any areas then where you disagree, you're now being unloving toward that person. And for the Christian, this can't possibly be true. Because we are called to love our enemies, let alone the people that we disagree with. Which, just as a side note, disagreeing with somebody does not necessarily make them your enemy. Right? Like, like the way we're talking in the world and in church world right now, it feels like anytime we disagree with somebody, we're like, well, that's an enemy. I do have to love my enemies, but I want to make sure that everybody knows I am loving my enemy because I disagree with them about where we should go to lunch after church or something. I don't know. We, disagreement 
is not the same as enemies, but if there is a spectrum of people that we love, that there's people who are really, really close to us and like us, and we just feel like they're so easy to love, then somewhere beyond that, there are people we disagree with, and somewhere beyond that, there are people who are our actual enemies. And Jesus said, yeah, love all of them, the whole group, every person. Jesus called us to love our neighbors, and then he told a story about the people's, like somebody asked him, well, who, who is my neighbor? Because they were trying to figure out how small a group of people they could, they were, they were forced to love. And, and Jesus told them a story about their enemy being a loving person. And he's like, yeah, go be like that. Just love all of them from, from easy to love to your enemy. Jesus has called us to love all our neighbors to love Trump and Biden and Putin and anybody else that you may have been told is your enemy, anybody that we may strongly disagree with. Love cannot have anything to do with agreement in its definition. Which is not to say, I mean, obviously you can love somebody and agree with them. That is possible. (laughs) Easier even. But those are separate choices. The choice to love somebody and the choice to agree with them are separate things. Love does not and cannot equal agreement if we are to love as Jesus loves and has called us to imitate. And then over the last uh, decade or so, it seems that a, a third level of love has developed. If you really love someone, you will agree with them we're told you'll agree with their perspective, their choices, their desires. But if you really, really love someone, you will champion their cause. It's not enough to just agree that their concern is concerning. You must testify to the injustice of their concern. You must champion their cause. Their cause must be your cause and their priority your priority. You must determine that this issue is such a problem that it must be fixed, it will be fixed, and you will help fix it. Now, whatever issue comes to mind for you when I say that, whatever group of people comes to mind, it is probably somebody that you disagree with. And I just, I need you to know, I need us to recognize that this is true across any aisle or any line that you could draw, okay? Gender rights, gun rights, religion rights, race rights, life rights, immigration rights. I'm not telling you which is right and which is wrong. I'm telling you that we are being asked to love by championing a cause, and it is an impossible definition if I'm to love all people. If I have to share your priorities to love you and your priorities to love you, I can't champion every cause, even the ones I agree with. I I don't have that kind of space and capability. And if I have to champion your cause to love you, that means I can't champion the cause of your opponent. And in a lot of cases, I will be just fine with that because I like your cause and I don't like theirs. But as a follower of Jesus, I just can't stand for that. Even when I love your cause and I think your opponent is evil. 
Hamas and IDF. Palestinian and Israeli, Ukrainian and Russian, my gay sister and the bigot, my Asian brother and the racist, Jesus has said you will love all of them. All of them. And my political opinion cannot be louder than my love because it wasn't for Jesus and I'm following him. Because I really am called to love everyone, even those whose causes I would never champion. And in this light, being a champion for every cause, even every just cause, is an impossible standard of love to live up to. As kind of a side note, um, because I don't want to spend a lot of time here, there's not a lot that I know to talk about here. But there's just something to be on the lookout for. There appears to be this sort of emerging fourth level uh, of, of love, that to really, truly love someone, and this is, this is just developing, it may go nowhere, but uh, 10 years ago, I would have told you the idea of championing a cause as love. I didn't know if it would go anywhere. This fourth level is just kind of emerging. Of course, it's emerging with younger generations first, because that's how these things uh, emerge. Um, but there's this fourth level that to really, truly love someone, you're going to have to be sexually attracted to them. That, that if I, if I, and it sounds so weird to some of us, and I, and I get that, but that if you love somebody a little bit, you'll be kind to them. That's sort of the base level. But then if you really want to love them, you'll agree with them. If you really, really love them, you'll champion their cause. And there is this emerging sort of you're going to find them attractive, that that's how they know they're really, really loved. We have so sexualized everything in our culture that it is starting to emerge as this fourth level of love. I hope that it goes nowhere, uh, but it, it is just, it, it's kind of emerging uh, as we speak. So just keep, keep an eye out for that one. Uh, I want to I pause here to say that all of this, as we look at these three levels of love up on the screen that have emerged, I just want to note that this makes love really hard. Because if that is what you're expecting from me before you're willing to call my efforts love, it's going to be really hard for me to make you feel loved. And I am 100% convinced that if Jesus was standing here instead of me, not only would you be much better off, but he would also look at this and go, yeah, yeah, that's really hard. Love anyway. Do it anyway. Even if they never feel loved. That should be our goal anyway, because that is the command of our Savior. He said, it is the most important thing that I can do, so I will do my very best. To love in the best way that I know how. So then, how are we going to define love? How do we define the biblical 1 Corinthians 13, Jesus did it kind of love? Because, because this, this list that we're developing of different levels of love does not match. So, so how are we going to define it? And, and I've tried to compact it to a phrase, all the things that the Bible teaches on love. And I have workshopped this and we tried a bunch of different words. I am not 100% sure that this is completely encompassing everything correct, but we'll give it our best shot. 
I reserve the right to be human and wrong. Okay. That was a lot of caveats. Hopefully it's better than that. Anyway. Love is a commitment to and an active kindness toward someone's greatest good. Love is a commitment to and an active kindness toward someone's greatest good. And I know it doesn't exactly roll off the tongue, but here's what I mean. Love is a commitment. It can't turn away at the first sign of disagreement. And that commitment isn't to a feeling or to convincing somebody or to making somebody happy. It's actually a commitment to their greatest good. We can all probably think of somebody, even a character in a book or a movie, who's spoiled and pampered, and we can recognize that that making somebody happy is not the same as helping them reach their greatest good and experience their greatest good. And, And I started this definition, peek behind the curtain, when I first put some words together, it was something like, Love is wanting and working towards someone's greatest good. The problem with that was it left too much room uh, for somebody to be a complete jerk. It left too much room for anger and judgment. That you could be rude and defeating and still say, well, I'm just doing it because I I want their greatest good. I'm just working toward their greatest good for them. Uh, But love is not rude. At the same time, Our commitment to another person in love can't just be a passive sort of, well, yeah, yeah, I want good for them. But there's an actual commitment to it and an active kindness. Love is an active choice. It's actually doing something towards that good. It's blessing them for no reason. It's having the conversation you need to have. It's enduring hard things together. It's being reflective enough to recognize when our unforgiveness gets in the way Because it makes us, unforgiveness doesn't do much to stop them from getting their greatest good, but it does make it really, really hard for us to want it for them, to be committed to it. When I'm struggling to forgive somebody, uh, there's uh, somebody I knew a long time ago uh, who hurt me in some some different ways, and I, I was aware one day that I had forgiven them, which I had been working on, because suddenly I really, really wanted God to give them everything that was good for them. They're also in ministry, and I suddenly, I I wanted their ministry stuff to succeed in a way that I hadn't before. And I know when I need to go back and do some more forgiveness work, because some days I don't want that. And, And unforgiveness gets in the way of our commitment and our active kindness toward somebody's greatest good and actually wanting it for them. Now, maybe uh, for you, it's really hard to figure out how to have an active kindness towards somebody because they're not actually present in your life today, either because they stepped out or you cut them out or whatever it may be. And I do want to say that sometimes the active kindness thing is to draw some boundaries and to help them realize that they have some places where they need to grow and learn and say, hey, I, I want to be in a loving relationship with you, but some things have got to change for for my safety and for this relationship to work. That can absolutely be active kindness. It will not feel like love or active kindness to them. That doesn't mean it's not. Sometimes people have stepped so far or been cut so far out of your life that you just have no contact with them. And the active kindness that you can do for them is to pray for them. 
And again, that forgiveness step of actually wanting good for them, being committed to them seeing their greatest good and accomplishing or, or receiving, experiencing their greatest good. The most powerful thing we can do is to pray that God would give that to them, that he would provide that for them. He is the provider of it anyway. Even in hard and difficult, painful relationships. Can you remain committed to their greatest good? Can you persevere in active kindness even when loving them hurts? Can you love beyond disagreement? Can you stay committed and kind? Uh, let me show you a good example. We'll turn back to 1 John chapter 4. Uh, and I will start again in verse 7 that we read uh, earlier and Jesse quoted earlier. And I'll read a little bit beyond that. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love God does not know God for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. God showed how much he loved us. Notice that it doesn't say God agreed with us. He didn't agree that we were okay just trying to do more good than bad and make sure the scales balanced in our favor at some point. He didn't agree that it was fine for us to live lives outside of the goodness he created us for. He didn't agree that it was good for us to define good and evil for ourselves. He didn't champion our brokenness. He died to break its hold on us. He sent his son, it says. And again, if you've been in our, our building blocks class, we talked about this, that, that this isn't a father sending his son to be tortured and mutilated. This is the son who is God. This is heaven taking on human fragility, taking on and walking in our brokenness. In his love, he was committed to our greatest good no matter the cost. He was committed to our freedom from our own mess, to our freedom from death and the other consequences of sin. He was committed to being with us. And his choice of active kindness was to trade the holiness of heaven for a cross and a crown of thorns. His active kindness. Jesus came and he walked amongst us, and he taught, and he healed, and he forgave, and he was broken. His active kindness was to die to break the curse of evil in this world and rise from the dead to break the curse of death in eternity. God demonstrated love most clearly in forgiveness, humility, and pain. 
God demonstrated love most clearly in forgiveness, humility, and pain. Dear friends, it says, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. So if it is painful for you to love somebody, if you recognize it's going to require some forgiveness work in you to love somebody, if it's going to require swallowing your pride to actually live in active kindness, God showed his great love for us in this. Dear friends, surely we ought to love each other. Wherever we get stuck in trying to love, whatever thorns we get hung up on, whether that's our own shortcomings or somebody else's definitions, thorns cannot be an excuse to not love. In the kingdom of God, thorns and scars are the evidence of a life committed to love. So we don't avoid the thorns. We push through them to love with active kindness. Because we follow a king who took our thorns and he twisted them and molded them into a crown for his own glory. And in so doing, he saved us. He redefined love and he gave us our greatest calling that we would love others as he has loved us. So let me pray for us as we do that. Father God, we know that we are in need of your help. Uh, that the thorns in us hold us back from wanting to love fully and completely and sacrificially, that the love is hard enough that when we run into any roadblocks, any, any thorn bushes in our attempt to love, that the easiest thing is to just walk away and to not push through. God, we need your courage and we need your strength to keep loving when it's hard, to forgive when it's painful. God, we need your wisdom to know how to keep pushing forward, when to draw boundaries, when to love with full abandon. Father, would you give us your heart for the people around us? Because we know that however much we love the people around us, even those closest to us, you love them so much more. We know that the people that we have labeled as enemies, you love like crazy. Would you give us that kind of love? Would you give us the, the ability to be kind when we don't feel like it? When, um, yeah, when we'd, we'd rather just pack up and go home. Would you give us the endurance to stick with people?
Jesus, thank you for the scars that you took for us. Would you guide us into that kind of example, into that kind of love? Would you help us to receive it well so we can share it well? So that everybody around us can know how much you love them. God, that's our, that's our aim, to love you, to honor your love by how we love the people around us. Would you make us better at receiving and giving love? That you would be glorified and honored for all that you do and have done. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for checking out our podcast. You can learn more or connect with us online at easthills.org.